Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning and welcome to the Wild Brain Fiscal 2020 fourth quarter and full year earnings call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session with analysts. To ask a question during that time, please press star then one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. I'd now like to turn the call over to Nancy Chan, Paul Matier, Director, Investor Relations at Wild Brain. You may begin your conference. Thank you, Operator. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Speaking on the call today are Eric Allenbogen, our CEO, and Aaron Ames, our CFO. Also with us and available during the question and answer session are Josh Sherba, our president, and Daniel Neese, our EVP of Finance and Chief Accounting Officer. First, we have some standard cautionary statements. The matters discussed on this call include forward-looking statements under applicable securities laws with respect to wild brain, including but not limited to statements regarding future investments by the company, the impacts of COVID-19 on the company and its business, the business strategies and operational activities of the company, and the future financial and operating performance of the company. Such statements are based on information currently available and are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties. Actual results or events in the future could differ materially and adversely from those described in the forward-looking statements as a result of various important factors including the risk factors set out in the company's most recent MDNA and AIF. Please know that all currency numbers are in Canadian dollars. For the question and answer session that will follow, we ask that each analyst keep to one question with one follow-up so that everyone has a chance to ask questions. If you would like to ask an additional question, please rejoin the queue. Please note that we are all in separate locations for the call today, so we do appreciate your patience if we encounter any lumpiness as we steer through the Q&A. I will now turn the call over to our CEO, Eric Ellenbogen. Uh, thanks, Nancy. Uh, good morning, and thank, uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, I hope uh, you continue to be well. This month marks one year since I joined Wildbrain, um, and to be sure, it's been an eventful year, and I'd like to commend our global team for rising to the challenges and opportunities that we've faced as a company during the past 12 months. But before I dive in, uh, I'd like to acknowledge that diversity and inclusivity are front of mind for everyone at Wildbrain. These are core values for us, and we've begun the important process of reviewing our diversity and inclusivity policies and practices across the company. We see this as critical to everything we do as content creators and as brand builders for not only today's kids, but future generations as well. It's meaningful for us to know that our content and brands are providing much-needed comfort and entertainment to families around the world. And in the face of global economic and social uncertainties, we're seeing strong demand for our content and premium production capabilities, as well as the endurance of our television and consumer products uh, businesses. We've been uh, very active in reorganizing and realigning the company to intensify our focus on creativity, digital media, and brands. And we've made great strides towards these goals, and I'd like to recap some of those advancements. First, the rebrand of the entire company as Wildbrain has been extremely well-received, both by our employees and by our partners and customers across the entertainment industry. The rebrand was not just cosmetic. It signaled for us a cultural reset across the company, unification of our global operations under a shared identity with common goals and increased collaboration. Uh, As part of the reset, we implemented a top-down global reorganization uh, to ensure we are investing in resources for growth. And I'm really thrilled at the level of talent we've been able to attract so far. I'll touch on a few of those key appointments. Michael Riley joined us as Chief Brands Officer and is now working with our new brand management team to spearhead our long-term strategy 
to build and reinvigorate our key brands. Uh, we welcome Deirdre Brennan as EVP of Content Partnerships, and she has led the reorganization and integration of our distribution and TV businesses, bringing on new leadership to drive strategic rights curation with our global partners. We also recently established a new China business uh, with the appointment of our managing director, Jin Bao Wei, who is building a content and licensing team to, growth, uh, to drive growth and collaboration in that important region. We appointed Steve Manners as VP of BizDev to lead collaboration between our licensing agency, WildBrain CPLG, and our AVOD network on YouTube, WildBrain Spark. This is now beginning to bear fruit as we cross-sell paid media, digital advertising and licensing services to third-party IP owners to fully support their brands. Charles Gabriel came on board as VP Advertising Sales to lead our digital direct ad sales in the U.S. market, and we continue to build out that ad sales team. And finally, uh, Aaron Ames was appointed CFO, Danielle Neef was named Chief Accounting Officer, and they have led a reorganization and streamlining of our global finance function. So these and other changes have had a profound effect on the company. Uh, collectively, they've led to increased collaboration across the business and a more nimble and indeed entrepreneurial organization. It's worth repeating that all of this has been driven by our long-term strategy to focus on creativity, digital media, and brands. But before I touch on each of these priorities, I'd like to frame briefly what this all means from a near-term results standpoint. As you know, we've focused on long-term growth and we don't give annual guidance. We believe this remains the right approach for now as it's important for us to have the flexibility to make the necessary investments across the organization, as well as the patience to find the right partners and make deals on the right economic terms instead of rushing deals to meet short-term earnings objectives. That said, Last year, we committed to delivering growth year-over-year year in adjusted EBITDA. That was before the one-two economic punch of COVID and the made-for-kids changes. And in spite of these significant headwinds, we delivered on the commitment, albeit modestly. And looking towards 2021, while we expect to continue to see these two issues as potential headwinds to our near-term performance, we believe once again, we can deliver at least modest growth year over year as we invest in and execute on our plans to drive accelerating long-term growth. In fact, even as the uh, global commerce decelerated in March, we sharpened our focus and we're delivering on the priorities of creativity, digital, media, and brands, and the momentum continues to build. So let me walk you through some of the progress we've made. Creatively, we've significantly upped our game. We're working on new content with a host of top-tier talent, new to our organization, including animation artists, creators, writers, directors, and live-action producers. For example, Snoopy in Space was one of the most popular shows on Apple TV+, and our Vancouver studio is in full production on additional Peanuts content for Apple. We're also in production on two new original seasons of Johnny Test, exclusively for Netflix. In partnership with DreamWorks, our studio is producing a brand new series based on the classic children's book, Go Dog Go. Our original animated preschool series, Chip and Potato, is a hit with young viewers on Netflix and has been renewed. This is becoming a full-fledged brand for us for which we intend to exploit consumer products. In live action, Mallory Towers, which is a co-production with UK partners Kingbert Productions and the CBBC, has been licensed to telecasters and streaming platforms in over a dozen territories, including the UK, US, and Canada, and it's rolling out with great success. And we have a robust development pipeline, including a new animated Green Hornet series in development with acclaimed filmmaker Kevin Smith. So we've rebuilt our creative pipeline to align with the shift in the industry towards global deals for premium content. Our premium franchises command premium prices and have established a new baseline of earnings from which we'll grow. It's important to realize 
that these deals take time to play out in our numbers. As we add to our book of production business, it takes a number of quarters for revenue to work its way through the financials. You're seeing evidence of this in our growing production revenue over the past eight quarters as big projects such as the new Peanuts content for Apple TV Plus ramp up to full run rate. There's lots more in the works, so watch this space for content announcements to come as we expect to continue adding to our core earnings base with more premium content deals. Also, it's important to note this is only part of the story. This is uh, only the production-related earnings stream and doesn't reflect the significant earnings contribution that these new content deals can drive and associated library sales and consumer products lift, which uh, are all substantially, uh, I should say, they're all margin. We see production growth as a leading indicator for future earnings contribution from these high-margin categories. Turning to digital media, we continue to invest in our market-leading AVOD business, WildBrain Spark. We recently completed a $25 million financing with the support of our largest shareholder, Fine Capital. We have a pipeline of opportunities, many of which we expect to consummate in the coming quarters. This new fund allows us to finance accretive investments, especially in WildBrain Spark, which capitalize on WildBrain Spark's growing audience. As an example, views at WildBrain Spark were up 35% over the prior year to $44 billion. And this amounts to 240 billion minutes of video watched on the network, which is up 45% from last year. We've started to see some modest improvements in advertising rates and revenue at WildBrain Spark, following declines precipitated by the made-for-kids changes at YouTube and by COVID-19 impacting global advertising. Advertising dollars are beginning to flow back into the market ahead of the holiday season, and our direct sales efforts are seeing early success with media agencies and advertisers. And in recent weeks, we've been conducting new optimization trials for ad placement on our network, which are contributing promising initial results. We're optimistic and we're building our direct ad sales team to be in a position of strength as the market returns. And what hasn't changed is advertising dollars follow eyeballs. And at 4 billion views per month, WildBrain Spark now has one of the largest and most engaged global audiences in the kids and family space. In fact, measured by audience size, our AVOD network has now eclipsed many top kids' U.S. cable networks by reaching an average of 16 million unique American viewers monthly. And in terms of watch time, WildBrain Spark is number one. As AVOD continues to overtake cable to become a preferred viewing destination for kids and families, our extensive audience reach and deep engagement present a huge opportunity to capture a larger slice of the four and a half Hello, operator. Have we lost the air? You'll bear with us, please. Hello? Hello? Eric is on the line. Uh, Oh, there you go, Eric. All right. I think we lost you there for a moment. All right. Okay. Um, So uh, I'll just pick up again that um, at 4 billion views per month, Wild Brain Spark is one of the largest and most engaged global audiences in the kids and family space. In fact, by audience size, our AVOD network has now eclipsed many top kids' U.S. cable networks by reaching an average of 16 million unique American viewers monthly. And in terms of watch time, Wild Brain Spark is number one. As AVOD continues to overtake cable to become a preferred viewing destination for kids and families, our extensive audience reach and deep engagement present a huge opportunity to capture a larger slice of the $4.5 billion per year spent globally on kids' advertising. Wild Brain Spark is the destination to reach kids around the world. We've also seen an increase in the commercial deals with uh, third-party IP owners who recognize the opportunity that Wild Brain Spark represents on YouTube as an essential platform for reaching kids and families. In the past, linear TV has been the primary driver of kids' brands, but we've known for some time now that AVOD was poised to dominate in the kids' brand space. 
We've positioned WildBrain Spark to leverage this opportunity, and now toy companies and content owners are increasingly turning to us for digital-first content and paid media strategies to support their brands. As an example, we're deepening existing partnerships with companies such as Mattel, who have engaged WildBrain Spark in a digital-first content strategy to help launch their latest doll brand, Cave Club. And in addition to Mattel, we've added new partnerships with IP owners such as Parkstar Media, Funrise Toys, and Zag. And these and other commitments support our widely held view of the growing importance of AVOD to support kids' brands. And turning to our own brands now, our Peanuts business is maintaining considerable strength in consumer products. October 2nd marks the 70th anniversary of the beloved Peanuts comic strip from Charles M. Schultz, and we have some great programs rolling out at retail. Classic brands, especially Peanuts, have been particularly resilient even in the times of COVID. I'm going to be circumspect about our other brand activities only because our programs are still in early stages. But what I will say is that we're building and implementing rollout strategies that encompass social media, gaming, celebrity partnerships, events, content, and consumer products for four key properties now, Strawberry Shortcake, Teletubbies, Chip and Potato, and In the Night Garden. And I look forward to sharing more once these programs gain momentum. And uh, finally, before handing the call over to Aaron, I'd like to congratulate the team at our global licensing agency, Wildbrain CPLG, who were recently named the Agency of the Year by their peers at the 2020 International Licensing Awards. And for those who don't know, um, those awards are the licensing industry's equivalent of winning the Best Picture Oscar. Wildbrain CPLG has had a banner year, and this recognition is hard-won and well-deserved so I'd like to offer congratulations to our managing director, Martin Weck, and to his team. Uh, with that, uh, over to Aaron. Thanks, Eric. In the last year, we've improved our financial flexibility to invest and grow our business. We redeployed $10 million in cost savings from our reorganization initiative to invest in growth. We completed a $60 million rights offering, $50 million of which was used to reduce debt with the balance for growth. And we raised $25 million in growth capital, especially for investments in our AVOD business. Turning to the quarterly and annual results, revenue in Q4 2020 was $92.9 million compared with $108.8 million in Q4 2019. This decrease was primarily driven by declines in ad revenue at Wildbrain Spark, the result of changes in Made for Kids content policy made by YouTube, and the negative advertising impacts of COVID-19. Consumer products owned was also impacted by COVID. The collective declines were partially offset by high production revenue, which increased 46% quarter over quarter to $26.3 million, driven mainly by premium proprietary content in our animation studio. Revenue for fiscal 2020 was down 3% to $425.6 million versus fiscal 2019, primarily due to decreases at Wellbring Spark and in our consumer products owned business. Net income in Q4 was $4 million versus a net loss of $62.8 million in the same quarter last year. This increase was largely driven by lower SG&A, lower non-cash impairment charges, and a higher non-cash foreign exchange gain in Q4 2020 compared to Q4 2019. For fiscal 2020, we posted a net loss of $236 million versus a net loss of $101.5 million last year. This was primarily due to a non-cash goodwill impairment charge of $184.5 million recorded in Q3, which was taken due to the impact of advertising revenue from YouTube's changes to targeted advertising, as well as the impact of global economic uncertainties arising from COVID. This non-cash charge had no impact on our distributions, cash flows, or our ability to meet debt obligations, and it does not reflect the long-term potential of our assets and business. Free cash flow for Q4 2020 increased to $9.3 million, compared to $4.1 million in Q4 2019. For fiscal 2020, we generated positive free cash flow of $27.1 million versus $10.4 million in fiscal 2019. The improvements in free cash flow were driven by implementing our investment strategy related to our content production requiring less cash outlay due to our targeted production slate, as well as by better management of working capital, including higher tax collect collection of tax credits and trade receivables in fiscal 2020. 
Adjusted EBITDA in Q4 was 18.7 million compared with 20.2 million in Q4 2019. The adoption of IFRS 16 positively impacted adjusted EBITDA by 2 million in Q4. Normalizing for this impact, adjusted EBITDA declined 3.4 million compared with Q4 2019. Adjusted EBITDA for fiscal 2020 was 81.8 million versus 79.6 million in fiscal 2019. IFRS 16 positively impacted adjusted EBITDA by 8 million in fiscal 2020, while the first quarter of fiscal 19 benefited from 1.3 million related to a higher ownership stake in PNS for part of that quarter. Normalizing for these items, adjusted EBITDA declined by 4.5 million in fiscal 2020 versus the prior year. Now, I'll hand the call back to Eric. Hey, thanks, Aaron. Uh, my first year with Wild Brain has been uh, energizing and eventful, to say the least. We've accomplished uh, a great deal in the last year. Uh, and while there's still work to do, our team has much to be proud of. Um, I feel sure we're making the right moves and advancing the right projects to realize the full potential and value of our assets. We've also got good visibility on our core earnings numbers. We're building on this EBITDA base with a strong pipeline of content deals that will drive production revenue and generate significant incremental returns across our distribution and licensing platforms, all part of our 360-degree approach to asset monetization. We expect to layer on more large recurring revenue deals as we move forward to continue to both grow and enhance the predictability and the quality of our core earnings. In fiscal 21, we're building on the success of the last 12 months, and we'll continue to execute on our long-term strategy by creating premium kids content with our priorities focused on, once again, investing in talent and supporting creativity across our business, in growing key brands, in monetizing our large audience on Wildbrain Spark, and improving our cash flow and balance sheet. So with that, uh, let's take some questions. Thank you. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. First question comes from Aravinda Galapath with Canaccord Genuity. Good morning. Thanks for uh, taking my questions. Um, I wanted to uh, focus a little bit more on the direct sales opportunity, Eric, that you touched on. Um, uh, thanks for all the color, but I was wondering if you can build a little bit on what you think is the size of that opportunity. Um, how many salespeople do you have uh, um, set up at, that, at this point? And then, um, you know, directionally, what kind of tailwind can we expect for fiscal 21? And uh, my follow-up for Aaron, uh, just on the production spend for fiscal 21, um, I know there was a little bit of growth in uh, fiscal 20 in terms of cash spend. I was wondering if we can expect a sort of a similar trajectory for uh, 21 as well. Thanks. Um, so uh, thank you for the question, and, and um, I'll take the first part uh, regarding uh, ad sales and the um, uh, sort of the status of what's going on. Uh, at uh, at Wild Brain Spark. So, uh, as as to the size of the uh, sales team, it's it's a build right now, and because we have uh, offers out to specific people, I can't uh, get into uh, the scaling. Uh, but it is a uh, it is a meaningful commitment uh, on our part, and one which uh, reflects, in our view, the uh, substantial size of the prize. Um, just to uh, give you a little context to this. Uh, we've started to see uh, ad rates uh, recover in the period between the Made for Kids changes at uh, YouTube and COVID uh, because what was, what was happening is the uh, advertisers and the uh, YouTube ecosystem and algorithms uh, were, uh, were getting adjusted. So we, we started to see pretty good progress there in kind of a return to uh, an equilibrium and normal. Um, COVID, and uh, I think you know this, saw not just on our network, uh, but across the board in AVOD and SVOD, a huge uplift uh, in viewing. Uh, and uh, to our minds, uh, a sampling of our network uh, by viewers that not, had not been there before. But then there was this uh, contraction, uh, which uh, was not unique to us, 
in ad spend, uh, particularly because digital ad commitments are the, uh, the easiest to pull back on uh, when uh, sentiment shifts. But we still continue to invest in uh, building our ad sales capability over the period uh, uh, just to take advantage of the uh, short-term revenue, uh, but to be poised, uh, as I believe that we are now, to take maximum advantage as the market returns, and it's returning. Um, so the market sentiment is uh, that budgets were pulled in a lot of categories like travel uh, and reprioritized to sort of the second half uh, and, you know, particularly heading into the holiday season of entertainment and toys. Uh, so in, in the markets where COVID is uh, getting under control, uh, we're definitely seeing a bounce back, uh, and there is a clear correlation between uh, CPMs uh, increasing and the easing of lockdowns, um, and uh, a pickup definitively in entertainment and toys in the run-up to the holidays. Uh, advertisers have to spend, uh, and uh, and we're uh, investing in the uh, in the midterm in, in direct ad sales, uh, and just constantly monitoring and keeping things uh, in line with our uh, business contingency plans. Um, that, that's sort of the picture around. Uh, ad sales. I hope that answers the question, Aaron. Yeah, thanks, uh, Arvinda. So um, I guess I'll talk a little bit about free cash flow, and then and then I'll um, talk a little bit about production. Uh, so, you know, we took deliberate steps uh, over the last, you know, a, a couple of years to to manage the uh, the cash flow profile of our business and to really take a, a strategic view of the type of investments that we want to make in order to to better manage our balance sheet risk. Um, so, so overall, we're, we're very careful where we take the, the risk, and we want to make sure that we have appropriate returns. So that's, that's why uh, our cash flow profile has been improving. Um, as far as production, you know, we see this as a growth area for us, and we do have more visibility than we've ever had before as to our pipeline. And so there will be some more spend for production. However, as you, as you know, that is funded through uh, specific uh, uh, debt for each production. So it doesn't really affect our corporate cash flow. Thank you. Next question comes from Adam Schein with National Bank, Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Good morning. Um, Eric, I know you're not giving any uh, specific guidance for this year, let alone going forward, but curious, you know, in the context of uh, what might be a, a ramp up in some of this sort of premium proprietary uh, production activity, you know, last year, uh, 49 um, half-hour proprietary deliveries versus 55 the prior year, obviously a, a very big move uh, maybe timing, but nevertheless, a very big move in Q4. Um, how should we think about, you know, sort of the potential step up in deliveries, uh, whether you can talk to this year or maybe within the context of a sort of one to three year dynamic in terms of what could be, you know, the sort of new normal. Um, and then second, you know, arguably a bit of a follow-up, um, you know, also mentioned in your presentation deck, uh, is, you know, efforts to do a bit more in the way of uh, toy exploitation. Um, you know, I, we've seen in the past, you know, some efforts uh, in this regard, you know, Teletubbies through Spin Master that, you know, unfortunately didn't necessarily go anywhere. But can you speak to, you know, some of the efforts here and, um, you know, what we might expect perhaps, you know, in fiscal 2021 in this area and or arguably, you know, heading into the back half of uh, calendar 20, uh, 2021, your, your H122. Okay, thanks. All right, thanks, uh, Adam, for the question. And uh, I'm gonna ask uh, Josh uh, to, uh, to participate in this as well, uh, speaking to the, uh, the production ramp up. One thing that I would say is that the, the metric is not necessarily around the quantum of uh, half-hour equivalents produced uh, because the, the thing that we're seeing both in the market and the attractiveness of our content is that it's going premium. 
and that that means uh, that the you know revenue per episode increases. Uh, the uh, you know as far as I'm concerned, the long tail uh, and value of those uh, assets are enhanced. And the other thing that we're very focused on is uh, content production that also drives uh, library value. Um, so it is a combination of new original productions, uh, but also the harvesting effectively of uh, our library assets. And what I spoke to earlier is the, the knock-on effect, uh, which is considerable in terms of consumer products and ancillary markets. Uh, but uh, Josh, if you, uh, you can perhaps address this a little bit more specifically. And, and again, without uh, giving guidance on it, I'll, I'll just say one thing. The pipeline is robust. It takes a while to build. And uh, I think that, you know, when I came in, uh, I wanted to take a step back, actually, uh, because before anything was rushed to market, uh, it was about uh, having the right people in place. It was about brand plans, uh, specifically um, uh, structured uh, and thought through to take uh, full advantage of what have been very high-performing assets in the past. Uh, and uh, the you know brand visibility and recognition of these are great, but we got to get it right. And so what you're seeing now is uh, you know in my view the tip of the iceberg in terms of what we've got going on uh, behind this in production. Uh, Josh, do you want to speak to any of it? Yeah, I would just just reiterate. I think it was a really key point you made uh, about um, the metric of of half hours produced. I, I think it's it's important that we contextualize that because the revenue profiles of the premium projects that we're producing these days are so different than what they were in the past. They're more ambitious. They take more time and have higher revenue associated with them. So um, <clears throat> I would I would de-emphasize that number of half hours produced per year as as a metric to keep an eye on moving forward. Um, and then just to be specific, I think that you know we've we've announced that we're producing a new Johnny Test series for Netflix, which we're really excited about. Um, but in in uh, in connection with that, we were able to license the library to Netflix as well. And we think this is a really interesting model for a, a company like Wild Brain that has meaningful IP and depth of library, and, and one we expect to replicate in the future. Uh, Adam, would you like to, with that, uh, address the second part of your question again, please? Yeah, the second part of the question was, uh, you know, reference in your presentation deck to, you know, efforts to build out some toy brands, you know, greater exploitation on the toy side. And, you know, we've seen in the past where there was a prior push pre your administration, you know, in terms of the launch of Teletubbies through Spin Master that didn't get a lot of traction. But wondering, you know, what some of your, you know, areas of initiatives might be in regards to pushing toys and whether that's something that can materialize this year in terms of traction or revenue or something to think about going into the holidays maybe a year from now. Got it. Okay. So, um, uh, let me take it in, in two parts. One, I think we are uh, seeing, as I alluded to in my uh, remarks today, uh, a significant move on the part of, uh, of toy companies to uh, AVOD and a digital first strategy. Uh, it's been very interesting because I find that these things lag and you can, you know, I've been around long enough to see what happens in, you know, the shift from, you know, broadcast to cable and now uh, cable to, uh, you know, digital and on-demand networks. Uh, and there's been, uh, and, you know, completely supported by the data, an enormous shift of audience to on-demand. Uh, and uh, we're seeing, as a matter of fact, in uh, – you know, homes with uh, smart TVs, which is where it's going right now, huge co-viewing numbers and, uh, and on-demand uh, dominating uh, what was a, uh, a linear environment. So we've got that platform now. So I think that there is not, as there has been in the past, an exclusive uh, dependence 
on uh, just the toy companies in order to move things. We're, uh, we're pulling together our AVOD network with our brand plans uh, and, uh, and other efforts. The other thing that's happened, I think, in the past, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't think our company was unique in, in doing this, uh, is uh, rushing stuff to market. You really have to lead uh, with the content. And uh, it's not about, uh, you know, trying to announce a master toy deal uh, all of a sudden and ship massive quantities of uh, merchandise uh, into retail channels uh, when the consumer pull is not there. So we're being much more deliberate uh, in the way that we, uh, in the way that we, you know, uh, roll out uh, our new content and making sure and testing, by the way, we're doing a huge amount of consumer in intercepts and testing against the franchise properties that are highly toyetic. And so um, uh, stay tuned. Um, we're, we're excited by some of the rollouts that are, are happening. Uh, one of the things I cited as an example is uh, where we get content traction first. It's like chip and potato on Netflix. Uh, you never know where the next hit is going to come from, and that happens to be one of them. And so as opposed to trying to build toy uh, as that content was launched, we're now seeing traction on the content. It's ended up with new production orders. We know the audience is building for that. We're continuing to promote it. And so we're now going to uh, chase on consumer products as opposed to lead with it. Um, I, I also think it's worth uh, reflecting that, you know, having been at Marvel uh, and seeing the uh, time that it takes in order to get traction, um, that uh, we need to be, uh, you know, very deliberate uh, in the way we do the rollouts. Peppa Pig is a great example. I mean, what an incredible property that is. Uh, but, you know, it grew from uh, 35 licensees over the period of a decade to 1,500 globally. But it was about content investment. It was about distribution investment and extending into new categories. And that's what really built the business. It was brick by, by brick. And so, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I tend to believe if something grows like a weed, generally it's a weed. And I think we're looking for oaks instead of weeds. Okay. That's good. Appreciate it. Next question comes from Drew McReynolds with RBC. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much, Eric. Hey, thank you for all that commentary um, uh, on the consumer product side. Just a couple of uh, follow-ups. I, I think first, um, in, in terms of the consumer products owned uh, business, and, and let's just simplify what, what you did in fiscal 2020, can you just comment on you know what what properties are contributing to to that base of revenue and you know you were kind to highlight the four properties you're focused on going forward as a follow-up just how is the overall business um, trending with the recovery uh, in retail and, and then just a housekeeping item uh, for Aaron just on the working capital for fiscal 2021 I know a ton of moving parts and sometimes not great visibility on collections, but could you provide us a little bit of an update there on what you'd expect for uh, for the full year? Thank you. Sure thing. So, um, uh, you know, own consumer products, uh, it's peanuts. And uh, that business has been really solid. Uh, and uh, even in the face of, uh, of COVID, one of the things we're seeing um, you know, fortuitously, is that uh, classic brands uh, are dominating. Not just uh, Peanuts, which is a top 10 brand, but uh, we're seeing it across the board. Um, as, uh, as retailers are more conservative, uh, you know, certainly we're enjoying online sales, uh, but we're seeing an uptick in uh, the number of approvals and licensees coming on board, which is a good leading indicator. Um, and, uh, you know, no question, it's comfort food. Um, and uh, so we benefit not only by, you know, those intrinsic trends in retail, uh, but 
uh, I think the competitive set has changed because uh, there's uh, uh, greater reluctance until retail stabilizes to move to uh, new and unproven brands. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, we've seen what, what's happened with the studio distributors and uh, theatrical release schedules and, uh, you know, which tend to be big drivers in the uh, rollout of consumer product campaigns, and they're not happening. So, in a sense, uh, uh, you know, there's competition that's been removed from the market, uh, and there's a trending towards uh, uh, to classic properties. So that we are the beneficiaries of. As far as the other classics, which are uh, in our library, it really is about, again, which I cited, a deliberate rollout when the time is right, with the correct content, uh, in a in a thoughtful program to really build a solid, steady-state consumer products business. And and I feel really good about uh, what I'm seeing coming from the brands group now, uh, uh, tied to the content team uh, and uh, and rollout strategies in both uh, digital uh, media on our own Spark network, uh, but also uh, with uh, partners uh, like some of the premium SVOD networks. Aaron? Yeah, uh, th thanks. Uh, and, and Drew, I, what, I, what I would say is we've been, uh, you know, prudent and disciplined in managing the investments and really managing risk around our balance sheet, and we'll continue to do that. Um, we, we've made also a number of improvements in how we manage working capital and collect working capital, and the focus is still there, and I expect that to improve. So I expect the, that the free cash flow should improve uh, next year, given all the work that we're well as the as the uh, disciplined approach and, and strategic approach that we're taking with our balance sheet. Okay, thank you. Next question comes from Drew McFadgen with Cormark Securities. Oh, hi. Yeah. Um, so I saw that you guys started to deploy or tap some of the capital um, that Fine, um, you know, agreed to uh, fund. And I was just wondering when we might start to see the benefit of that show up in your results. Um, the answer is soon. Um, so uh, the opportunity set is considerable. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, the way that I, I defined it was first uh, perfecting rights in our existing IP catalog. Um, and uh, so, you know, since my arrival, uh, we've been scrubbing that catalog uh, to identify the, you know, long-term value assets that we have and to the extent that the rights are not complete, uh, completing those rights. Um, uh, secondary of emphasis has been in, you know, partner deals and opportunities uh, associated, uh, which is related to the first category, at Wild Rain Spark, uh, and uh, and again, we're you know we have a whole set of, of uh, partners, proprietary content, and uh, and other areas that uh, merit uh, investment. And you know one of the uh, one of the benefits of the structure that was created around this that you may be familiar with is that it has no impact whatsoever on our leverage ratio. Uh, but the flip side is that. Uh, it's going to be accretive because uh, we have the capability to upstream the cash that's generated from the growth opportunities. Um, so uh, we're seeing a lot of deals out there uh, in the you know current environment, and um, you know I think it's something that we well anticipated, uh, and uh, and we're able to get you know a huge vote of confidence from our leading shareholder. Uh, allowing us to uh, to go out and, and acquire these assets. So I, I can't speak to specific negotiations. Uh, I, I see most of these uh, deals as near term, and uh, I think that uh, we will soon deploy, uh, you know, fully the entire fund. Okay, so we should start to see the benefit of that show up in, in the fiscal 21 year then, correct? I, I, again, I don't want to uh, give like when returns start to come because uh, you know many of these things are again perfecting uh, you know asset value 
uh, in catalog that we already have. Uh, but uh, you know, we it, it, it's about accretive investments, and um, and with the deployment of the capital, we you know it's it's our expectation that we're going to begin to see returns soon. The other okay. thing I, I would add is that we've shown that as restricted cash on the balance sheet at year end. So while we've been draw, uh, it is showing as a separate line on our balance sheet. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. Next question comes from Edson Lay with Stiefel GMP. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Uh, my first one's on the production revenue for the year. I was wondering if you can comment on the split between the proprietary production uh, versus third party and how that's trended in 2020 versus prior years. Um, and Josh? Yeah, I, I think I think you continue to see a, a growth in our proprietary slate, um, which um, which I, yeah, I certainly wouldn't categorize that as a as a slippage in service. Uh, rather, how we're deploying our our resources at the studio, and of course, when we can do proprietary um, high quality premium projects, that's uh, that that's a benefit for us. Okay, and just one follow-up on uh, follow-up question on production as well. I think Aaron, you said earlier that the visibility on the pipeline's been the best yet. Can you give additional color on the backlog and, and maybe expected utilization over the next year or so? Thanks. So I'll, I'll uh, um, what I said was we have the most visibility that we've ever had in our in our pipeline. Um, as far as the backlog, I'll turn that to Josh to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure I categorize a backlog. I think that we're, you know, I, I think we've got, um, you know, a stable of high quality projects that are lining up, uh, and uh, and we're, we're, uh, you know, we're really positive about the slate that we have in front of us over the coming year. Okay. Uh, anything on utilization or? Uh, it, it, utilization specifically at the studio. Yes, correct. Yeah, I, I think we're, you know, look, we're, we're, um, we, we continue to, we, we've got, we continue to, to use our capacity to the fullest. Um, you know, I think that one thing that has happened uh, as a result of COVID is we've gotten, um, you know, we, we continue to have the vast majority of our studio working remotely, uh, and we're optimistic about what that can do for us in the future. Um, we. You know, we we never intended to be limited by uh, physical real estate, but practically that that was a factor, and and it's really not anymore. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna come down to our ability to uh, grow through high quality projects and and talent that we can fill um, uh, those, those projects with. But we we think there's we can be optimistic that there's room for more growth than there than there would have been in a pre work from home uh, world. Okay, perfect. That's that's super helpful. I have one last question, and it's on Wild Brain Spark. Um, you guys are seeing modest improvements in ad rates and, and continue, your continuing investments in direct sales. But with monetization so volatile in the past year, like how do you guys think about the value of, a, of an AVOD view versus an SVOD view? Or, or in other words, um, what are these Wild Brain Spark views worth, and what key point to that gives you comfort around this? So, um, uh, in, in SVOD, of course, uh, you know, no advertising. Um, so uh, we view uh, the, you know, our, our program strategies in SVOD as, as building library and uh, as awareness. And one of the things, uh, incidentally, that we're seeing now, and it's, it's really interesting, is our uh, ability, which, uh, you know, as a matter of policy had not been the case in the past, to uh, use our AVOD network uh, with clips and promotional content to drive views to SVOD. So the discovery process has been made uh, incredibly easier, and I think you know there's a, a lot of enlightenment and learning among the SVOD players in the use of AVOD uh, as a funnel for uh, for viewers, so there's been considerable liberalization in the licensing practice of uh, of, uh, of SVOD. So I think that 
here's what we're seeing in, in Spark, though, on, uh, on you know, in our, our sort of general view is um, that, uh, again, a recovery is happening. Uh, we're seeing uh, marketers uh, step in in a way that they have not before in using uh, our AVOD network and its incredible reach, uh, view time, uh, sort of the persistence uh, to launch, uh, you know, toy campaigns and uh, consumer products, uh, particularly when it comes to our co-viewing uh, audience, uh, which is substantial, uh, largely driven by uh, preschool uh, content. Um, and so the... Uh, the other thing is that, that market sentiment is turning now, and again, I don't think this is unique to uh, our platform. I think there is a, a considerable rising tide around the, uh, the value of AVOD. Uh, one of the things I may have alluded to in uh, past calls, uh, which we welcome, uh, is the uh, entrance of you know, mega players like NBC, Comcast Universal, uh, in their talk network, which is an AVOD network. And it really is the transformation of previous, uh, you know, linear delivery into uh, streaming on demand, uh, advertiser supported on demand. And I think that that is going to be, um, you know, great for the market because the measurement tools, the ad sales forces, uh, the focus on uh, AVOD delivery uh, is um, is good for everyone who is in the AVOD business, and as the leading network in the category, uh, we should be a, a substantial beneficiary uh, of those changes. Um, so, um, you know, we have this co-viewing audience, we have watch time, all the data is pointing in the right direction uh, as far as the traction that we're receiving and total engagement. Uh, and again, compared to the uh, kids' cable networks, uh, you know, we now eclipse uh, many of them. So, uh, just to give you a, a factoid, uh, with you know, um, uh, cable networks uh, in the U.S., uh, we have greater reach now than Cartoon Network, PBS Kids, and Nick Kids. I mean, that that, that is a that is a tectonic change in the nature of viewing habits in the market. Uh, as well as an engagement. And so um, it gives us, uh, I think, considerable optimism uh, about uh, this asset that we own. And I think in many ways, it's, uh, you know, it's a real sleeper. Okay, that's great, Teller. Um, that's all my questions. I'll pass the line. Thanks. Okay, and at this time, I'll turn the call over to Ms. Chen Palmatier. Thank you, everyone, uh, for joining us today, and uh, stay well, and we look forward to uh, updating you next quarter. Have a good day. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.